We're in a series called Explore God, and uh, last week, does life have a purpose? We're, we're joining with about 150 other churches around the Richmond area. We're asking seven questions, that, uh, trying to answer seven questions that people are asking, and today is, is there a God? And uh, I think Kelly, you know, she found out there's a God. Here's my hope that you find out that there's a God, that not he's some distant, far-being, unconcerned unattached, detached God, but he's a God that's personal, a God that died for you, a God that loves you, a God that goes, knows every hair on your head. And that's my hope, that we come to know God, not only today, but in these next few weeks, in a greater way. And, and so how do we know there is a God? Pastor, what would you say to the question, is there a God? And let me give you just a few statements, and then we'll, we'll try to break it down. Here's the first thing. Creation declares there is a God. If you have your outline, put that on there, will you? The creation declares there's a God. And beside that, I want you to put Louis Giglio, the indescribable tour. And when you get a second, not now, but when you get a second this week, Google that and watch that. And, 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 and he, a lot of the stuff, some of the stuff I'm sharing right now is on that indescribable tour. He does so much better Go so much deeper, and I want you to see that. Louis Giglio, indescribable tour. But let me touch on it. The, the creation declares the glory of God. If you've ever been out on your deck or on your porch, or outside for that matter, on a clear night, and you've looked up to heavens, and you have seen or observed all the stars, it, not only is there a God, He's indescribable, He's unconceivable, He's all-powerful, He's unstoppable, He's hardly enough. Words cannot describe him. He's beyond our wildest imaginations. Here's what the psalmist said. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or with a wor- without a word. They're inaudible, but their voice is, is, is never heard yet. Their message is gone throughout the whole earth. And their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. They're, they're, the, sky, the stars in the sky are not up there singing twinkle, twinkle, little star. No, they're declaring the splendor. That they're, they're declaring that there is a God. That there's a ginormous God. A God that is bigger than any prayer you've ever prayed. A God that's bigger than every, any thought you've ever imagined. A God that's able to meet any need that you've ever went through. Uh, uh, there is a billboard in the sky and its canopy is declaring that there is a God and that he's worthy of our honor and our glory and our, and our adoration and our obedience. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And in just a few verses later, it says, and then he said, let there be light. And there was light. Of course there was. It was, if God said it, then, then that's what God got. The universe came into existence at the command of his voice. And our universe is massive. We, we've not even been able to see the extent of our universe. There's not a big enough telescope to let us know what's really out there. Every time we create a bigger telescope, we're more wowed, we're more amazed, we're more perplexed, we're, we're, we're more breathless in, in what creation is and what creation looked like. It, if, if the universe is just 
the habitation for you and I, it's way, way, way too big. But if the universe, if its primary purpose is to show off God's splendor and God's power and God's majesty and God's glory, it's probably just the right size. Well, how big is the universe? Well, they tell us, scientists, it's 100, light travels at 186, 100,000 miles per second. A beam of light circles the earth every, uh, seven times every second. When God said, let there be light, it went out of his mouth at 186,000 miles per second, and it lit up the universe. Here's how the psalmist describe it. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and their starry hosts by the, by the breath of his mouth. With the, to measure the universe that we know, that we are able to think about and talk about. I'm not talking about me and you. I'm talking about people with telescopes, all those kind of people. They say that our galaxy is 100,000 light years, uh, the universe that we live in. It, oh, let me just say this. It's the universe that we live in. I'll get it together. The universe we live in is 5.88 trillion light years across. We live in, in the Milky Way galaxy. So we got this big universe, and then we've got these little subdivisions, and they're, they're multiple, 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 multiple uh, uh, galaxies in this universe. We live in the Milky Way galaxy. They took a picture. Here's kind of a description, a picture of the Milky Way galaxy. It's 100,000 light years across. It has billions of star. If, if it took a second to count every star in the Milky Way galaxy, it would take 2,500 years to count them all. And, and is there a God? Here, here again, here's what Isaiah said. To whom will you compare me? Who is equal? Ask the, ask the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry hosts one by one? Who calls forth each of them by name? Because of his great might and his great power and strength, not one of them is missing. We, we live on, uh, uh, this is the only way, we've got this big universe, we've got this galaxy. If, if you were to compare, well, how big is the galaxy compared to, to, the, to the universe that's in there? Our galaxy is the size, just to make it in reference, the size of a quarter, where the universe is the size of the North American continent. So you can just see the splendor. And part of that, that galaxy, Milky Way, is our solar system. And so we, we have a picture. This is usually the picture of the solar system that we see. And, and, and here's Earth right in the middle around all the planets. And you say, well, where am I? I thought Earth was in the center. And I thought I was kind of in the center of the universe. And I, I thought what I wanted was the most important. You are a little, 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 little dot. On, on this little, little, little ball right here. And I don't say that to make you feel little. I say that to let you know how big God is. In, in this solar system, there is, is a star that we call the sun. It's not the biggest. It's not the brightest. It's not the baddest. It's just one of billions. It's 93,000 uh, 93, miles from the earth. Here's here, it's 10,000 times the size of the earth. On its surface, it's 10,000 degrees. If your local power company wanted to create enough energy for the sun, it would take 7 million years worth of the gross national product to fuel the sun for one second. 
That's how big God is. 28 million light years from the earth. Now we're going into another galaxy. It's called the Sombrero Galaxy. Kind of looks like a Frisbee. It's 50,000 light years wide. It's trillions of light years thick. And you say, well, what is it doing? It's giving glory to God. It's reflecting how amazing and how creative and how powerful and how awesome he is. If you go 31 million light years out, you'll come to another galaxy. It's called the Whirlpool Galaxy. This galaxy, again, as many as 500 billion stars in it. In the center, it's 50, 31 million light years out. In the center of this Whirlpool Galaxy, it, they call it its nebula. The kind of the cortex of it is this star here. 31 million light years from Earth. Coincidence? Our creation. Big Bang? Or did God say? Where did even the Big Bang Theory come from? What, what is that about? Why is it so prominent? Why do we talk about it so much? It's a theory that Charles, Charles Darwin came up with. He, he's the, 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 the evolutionist. That here, Here's what he taught, what he believes, and what others have taught after him. That the universe and all the matter it contained was smashed into an invisible cosmic spark that just floated around. And suddenly a mega explosion for no reason, no explanation, no purpose occurred and the earth was formed. Its happening was accidental, it was mindless, and it was totally a random chance. And after the explosion and millions of years, life began to produce. And their argument is living matter evolved from dead matter through a random process in time, which they call spontaneous generation generation the truth is evolution is based upon a belief in the reality of the things that have never scientifically been verified belief in fossils that cannot be produced belief in evidence that does not exist and a belief in breeding experiments that never work i would bore you with the fossil flaws and and the and the the contrast of and the the contradiction that evolution brings to light and the the just the trouble with spontaneous generation. But there is as much chance of life being spontaneously produced as there is a tornado blowing through a junkyard and creating a Boeing 747. It's, it's, it's just, it's impossible. So why, why, the, why the push for it? Why the devotion to this theory? Why is it so vigorously defended and adamantly proposed to Put it simply, the faith of the evolutionist gets in the way of the facts of science. A, a, a well-known scientist, he's a professor of biology at Harvard University. He's won a Nobel Peace Prize. He's known throughout our world as, as, as one of these guys that, that just knows his science. Here's what he said. Not... I just want you to read it instead of just quoting it. There are only two possibilities as how life arose. One is spontaneous generation arising to evolution. The other is a supernatural creative act of God. There's no third possibility. This is a smart dude, much smarter than you and I. Spontaneous generation, the belief that life comes from non-living matter, was scientifically disapproved 
120 years ago by Lewis Pastor and others. They just, they, that just leaves us with only one other possibility. That life arose as a creative act of God. But I'm not going to accept that philosophy. Because I don't want to believe in God. Therefore, I choose to believe in that which is scientifically impossible. Spontaneous generation that leads to evolution. Evolution is based on, it's not based on a science, it's based on a religion. And Darwin is its prophet in the book that he wrote, Origin of Species is its Bible. And the theory of evolution is its God. Evolution declares that we are an accidental byproduct of a random and purposeless process. It's so The Word of God says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing has been made. Here's how Paul says it in the book of Romans. He, he's, trying to, he's trying to let us know. The Romans is all about, at the beginning, trying to point out our sin and help us to recognize we need a Savior. And this is what he tells them. For since the creation of the world, and he was really answering the question, is there a God? Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen. Okay, how, how do I see God? Here's what Paul says. It's being understood from what has been made. Creation declares that there is God. You know what Paul is saying? Every time you step outside, you are confronted with the reality of God. Every time you see a sunset, every time you observe the stars, every time you smell a flower, every time you catch a snowflake, you are confronted by God. Why? Because every star is an announcement. That's what Paul is saying. Every leaf is a reminder. The glaciers are megaphones. The seasons are chapters. The clouds are banners. Nature is a song of many parts but one theme, and that is that God created. Is there a God? Creation declares there's a God. Well, consider the human body. Let me give you some facts about your body, my body. Our heart beats 104,000 times per day. Produces 172 billion blood cells every 24 hours. 100 billion nerve cells are in the brain. And they act as a command central station to control your whole body. Your nose can remember 50,000 different scents. An average person produces 25,000 quarts of saliva in a lifetime. Unless you're a preacher, then you produce like 50,000 and you spit all over the place. Enough to fill two swimming pools. Not only do you have a unique fingerprint, you have a unique tongue print. You, the human eye can distinguish about 10 million different colors. If the human eye were a digital camera, it would have 576 megapixels. You say, well, what does that mean? The iPhone 6 has 8 megapixels in its camera. And if you want to take a selfie, it takes 1.2 megapixels. Your eyes have 576 megapixels. In your lifetime, your brain's long-term memory can hold as many as one quadrillion. That's one million billion separate bytes of, bits of information. Your heart will pump nearly 1.5 million barrels of blood during your lifetime, enough to fill up 200 train cars. When, when Consider a baby just for a moment. When sperm joins egg, a new life is 
begins from the moment of conception. At that moment, certain personality traits, artistic talents, and physical characteristics, eye color and gender, are already set at the moment of conception. Those first cells grow and divide rapidly. Three weeks in your mother's womb, your heart begins to beat. Four weeks, a pregnancy test can come back positive. At four weeks, your arms and legs begin to form along with your brain, spinal cord, and other organ systems. At six weeks, you make movement. Fingers are forming. Lips and visible brain waves can be detected. Seven to eight weeks, a baby in its mother's womb is swimming with a natural swimmer stroke. At 11 weeks, a baby is swallowing. They open their mouth. They get hiccups. All organ systems are in place. And at 11 weeks, your kidneys are able to produce urine. 12 weeks, your fingerprints are detected. Your, 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 uh, your ultrasound reveals that you're active. We'll tell if it's a boy or a girl. At 18 weeks, the body has what it needs to feel pain. All your nerves and spinal cord are intact. And, and, and a mom can feel you moving and turning and wiggling inside of her. At week 20, you hear your mother's voice and can react to a sudden noise. You can awake and sleep. You awake and sleep with regular patterns. That gets all jacked up when you come out. But when you're in the womb, <coughs> you, got, you got a regular sleeping pattern. And after 20 weeks, all that happens is you mature and you develop. After 20 weeks, there's nothing else added. You just become a bigger and, and, and more, again, more mature physically of who you are. And I ask, is that spontaneous generation? Or is that creation? Is that an ape that evolved or an all-powerful God that created? Here's how the psalmist said it. Oh, yes, 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 you shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb, and I thank you, high God. You're breathtaking, body and soul. I'm marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I'd even lived one day. Creation. Is there a God? Creation declares it. You know, here's the next point I want you to know. Our conscience, a conscience acknowledges that there is a God. Here, here's what Romans 1 says. The truth about God is known to them instinctively. What does that mean? It means in the heart of every man is the knowledge of right and wrong. Romans 2 says that it's, that it's been within our hearts, that God has designed us with an internal compass, a God-shaped vacuum. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. Because of what's on the inside of us, we know intuitively that there is an all-powerful supreme being. We're not all acknowledging that, but because of what's inside of that, we, we've discerned that. Missionaries tell us that there is no matter where they go, how far deep into the woods they get, no, no matter how uh, uneducated people are, 
that in every tribe, every unknown, every unreached people group, they will find a tribe that has created a God. Because intuitively and instinctively, they know that they need their sins to be atoned for. They know by creation that there is a God. They know in their conscience that there is a supreme being. And they have developed, they have made, they have thought up one. They have created a God. Because intuitively, they, they know there's a God. And here... Here, here's what I think. Here, creation declares our conscience acknowledges it. But I think, I think maybe it's not a lack of evidence that there's a God. Maybe we've been sharing or communicating or understanding the wrong God. Maybe we have the wrong idea, the wrong perception, the wrong picture of God. Maybe the reason we haven't surrendered our lives to Christ is because it's not that we don't believe that he is, but we don't understand what he's like. It's like if I asked you to play basketball and you said, no, I'm not playing basketball. I I, I can't stand basketball. Well, why not? Everybody loves basketball. Come and play. Well, no, there's too much. You get tackled and and those pads you have to wear and that helmet is so heavy. I don't want to play basketball. That's not basketball. That's football. Oh, that's football. Oh, then I'll play basketball. And that was supposed to be funny, but nobody's laughing. But here's here's the point. We try to present this God, and we go, I don't want to serve that God. He's too hard. He's too too unforgiving. He's too distant. He's too cold. And we've got the wrong. I'm not going to serve that. I'm not going to play that. No, no, you got the wrong God. It's not that you don't believe in God. You've got the wrong God. That he's slow to anger and abounding in love. That he's gracious and compassionate. That he's for you and not against you. That he has a plan to prosper you and not to harm you. It, sometimes we just get the wrong idea of who God is and what God is like. So I think as I close this, this sermon this morning, part of my job is to help you to throw away the misconceptions about God. Here's here's one of them, that God is a killjoy. He's too restrictive. He just wants to keep me to fun. If I give my life to God, he's going to send me to Africa. He's going to make me home school my kids. He's going to make me wear a helmet everywhere I go. I just can't do that. I can't do that. Can, Can I just tell you, God came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. I try to explain, try to explain in the first two services, like this, that my dad took me to a rodeo when I was a kid. And uh, anybody been to a rodeo? You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to say anything. Just think in your mind. Or you can't. No, say whatever you want to. But in a rodeo, there's calf roping. You heard of that? Calf racing. What is it? Calf roping, barrel racing, where they do that little figure eight. They've got the bronco riding. But the highlight, the, 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 the main event is the Brahma bull. And that's what everybody, they put that at the end of the rodeo so everybody will stay away. Because the Brahma bull is the baddest, meanest, nastiest thing in the rodeo. And, and you know what the difference between a Brahma bull and a, and a bucking bronco is? The bronco just wants to throw you off its back. The bull wants to kill you. That's why they have clowns. You know why they have clowns? So they can get, they can distract the bull. Because the bull wants to throw that cowboy off his back and go after him and behead him and stomp him and destroy him. You know why they have fences in rodeos? Not to restrain and restrict the rider, but to restrain and restrict the bull. Here's what happens. That bull throws that cowboy, and his feet barely hit the ground. 
before he is running for that fence. It's like Emily, I, I took my daughter, we went, uh, we went wave riding, what's it called, sea Dew, uh, little sport, what is that boat that you drive by yourself, what's the thing called, huh, jet ski, yeah, <laughs> I got so excited about how big God was, I forgot what a jet ski was, and, and we got on these jet skis in the middle, it wasn't the middle, obviously, but it was out there in the Atlantic Ocean, and have you ever, every summer, Discovery Channel does Shark Week right in the middle of, of being, you know, why would they do that? Be, I don't know why. I'm calling Discovery. But, but they had, and so we're already kind of scared of sharks, and we're out there, and she's on the back. And we hit a wave, and she falls off. And I thought there was a trampoline in the ocean. I thought there was a ladder. She came out of that water so fast. I mean, it was, oh, I'm back. And she, for the rest, she had me in a chokehold the rest of the day. I mean, I've never seen a girl come out of the water so fast. That's what happens to those cowboy bull riders. When they hit the ground, they come off. I don't care if they got a broke foot, a broke back. They're getting to that fence. Why? Because the fence will protect them from the bull. God's word is not to restrict us. It's not to restrain us. It's to protect us. We have an enemy, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion. He's like a Brahma bull, and he wants to kill you and destroy you. He wants to gore you with his horns and make life miserable for you. And the only protection, the safety that we find is in adhering and obeying and walking and following the word of God. It's not restrict. Here, can I just say it again? Life with Jesus is better. It's not easier. It's better. There is great reward. There is... He that dwells under the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. There's safety, there's, there's freedom, there's joy, there's peace when you adhere to the Word of God. It's not that you got the, maybe you don't believe that He is, maybe you just don't believe what He's like. Some people will say, well, God's just too distant, He's too unconcerned. John 1.14 says, and the Word became flesh and made His dwelling amongst us. Isaiah called Jesus Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus described the Holy Spirit as counselor. If you look up that word in the Greek, it means to an advocate, a comforter, a helper. It means to come alongside. You, you know, God through his spirit wants to live in you. He wants to come alongside you. He wants to help you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to teach you and console you and empower you. And use you. That's why James said, if you'll come near to God, he'll come near to you. That's why in the book of Acts it says, he doesn't play hide and seek with us. He's not remote. He's near. Here's another misconception about God. Well, I'm just too bad. God could never accept me. God, I, I just got to get cleaned up before I come to God. I've done too much. Well, God gave us a story concerning that, Luke chapter 15. It's the story of the prodigal son who at 17, our teenager, thought he knew it all, was above all, and he left his dad, and he, he wasted his life and spent all of his money on, on, on unrighteous living, did, did all the things that he knew he ought not to do. And, and how many know the wages of sin is death? You, if I were to bring up people that had went into the world and done the things of the world and and smoke whatever they wanted to smoke, drink whatever they wanted to drink, sleep with whoever they wanted to sleep with, they would, they would be a testimony to you that, that sin is hard. It's hard. It, 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 it's destructive. 
And this boy came to his senses in a pig pen because sin is hard and it takes more from you. You're willing to give and you just can't get out of it the way you thought. And he finally comes to his senses and he goes, if I can just go home, maybe my dad will make me a slave. So he gets what little left he has together and he starts heading back home, thinking the whole time, wrestling with the guilt, the remorse, the, the, the hope that his, God, that his dad would receive him. What he didn't know was, all righty then, what he didn't know was, was, was he was looking, he, the father was looking for the son, was waiting for the son, pacing back and forth for the son to come home. And, and when that boy crested that hill, the dad went running out there and embraced him and loved on him. And, and, and the son, here's the word, sons of the word, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And the daddy said, get the, here, put this ring on it. Get some sandals on it. Let me put the robe on you and kill the fatted calf because my son who once was gone is now found. We're going to celebrate. God is a forgiving God. He's a gracious God. Here, here's what I want you to know today. Come now, let's settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they'll be as wool. Here's, here's the whirlpool galaxy again. And in the middle of it is this nebula. It's kind of the cortex of it. It's the center of it. It declares the glory of God. Creation declares that there's a God. Our conscious acknowledge there's a God. But, but if you just go back 2,000 years, you'll find Jesus hanging on a cross. The life and death of Christ confirms there's a God. It demonstrates the love of God. The Bible says, but God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, he died on a cross for our sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Is there a God, people ask? Is there a God, you wonder? Creation declares there's a God. Our conscience acknowledges there is a God. And Christ confirms there is a God. Amen, everybody? Amen. Why don't you bow your heads and your hearts for just a moment?